0: Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer our listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. Okay, hey, we have a major treat for you today. Designer Ashley Whitaker is back to talk about her brand new book, The Well-Loved House, Creating Homes with Color, Comfort and Drama, published by Rizzoli. Ashley was our guest back in 2019 on episode 93, and it was it was one of my favorite episodes ever. I'm such a fan of your work, Ashley, so welcome back. Thank you, I'm
2: excited to be back. We had a good time, I remember that day in Atlanta.
0: Yes, in Suzanne Kassler's beautiful office. Yes, exactly.
2: So today, today I'm at my mom's house in Watch Hill, so it's not bad either.
0: <laughs> well, I often refer back to the conversation because I felt like there were so many light bulb moments for me and I had just bought the house that I'm in and like so many things that you said just really helped me solidify my plan. And so I'm just, I'm a huge, huge fan. I was very excited to learn about your book and so glad we can have you back and question you all about it.
2: Good. How wait, my question for you first, how did the Peacock Blue basement work out? Who had that? Oh,
0: that was Karen and it is oh. really fabulous. Oh, it is, okay, really fabulous. Good, it is gorgeous. good. really fabulous. It is good, good. In I fact,
2: excited to hear about my it. husband
0: and I. Was, so it connects to a pool, and my husband and I went and took our daughter to swim in the pool. And he went into there, and he was like, "Oh my god, have you? Did you go in that basement? That is right. amazing." It's, it's a man. <laughs> He's like, color. "Wait, it's why did we thing. do that in our? Yeah, right. It's <laughs> like, why did we do our basement like that? That's great, it's fun." Anyways, yes, good memory, good memory. Yes, I know, remember these things. Okay, so the title of your book is "A Well Left House," and you talk in your book in the introduction about your childhood home being well used and well loved. And you also talk about, you say, if the sofa arms are not worn through and the rugs are still pristine after 10 years, then I have not done my job. And I loved this idea for so many reasons, because first off, it just shows how important function is. But also, I feel like it gives us all like a it gives permission, yeah, it, yeah, it gives you permission to not have this perfect home as the idea and to be able—I mean, to, as the ideal—and so I'm just curious. Like in your own home, you have kids. Like, where do you draw the line in terms of what you're keeping in perfect shape and what it, what do you let sort of look well used and well loved? Well, I think
2: my whole house. One of the goals of my house was to just let it set it and forget it and not worry. And I think that I really have achieved that goal. I have a seven-year-old son. We have one big sort of great room for lack of a better, our big sort of double-sided living room with a fireplace and a television. And we live in there. My son plays toys in there. We have cocktail parties in there. We have, you know, supper on the lap with friends, dinner parties. We just really live in it. And my goal was have everything i don't want anything precious in this room at all and it's michael smith one of his favorite fabrics of mine um is on the chairs it's almost like camouflage in pattern it's dark greens it's dark blues and whites and it's really it's indestructible without being any sort of special fabric it's just kind of within the pattern and then the rugs are wool the furniture coffee tables beat it up let it get scratched i i just I don't worry about it in my own house. Plus, I know how to fix it all if, if anything does happen. But I just I just don't worry. I don't have the bandwidth to worry. I really don't. I, I just don't want to do it. And I really try to set my, ha- my clients' houses up the same way. Like, I don't think it's fun when you have four kids and you're worried about the rug in the living room. Like, that, to me, is not a fun way to live. And so I kind of insert myself in that and make sure that I would feel comfortable living in their house with my sort of lifestyle because i don't think they differ wildly from the way my clients live and not everything has to be indoor outdoor any kind of special materials or anything but just kind of natural fabrics that they do wear well a wool rug should look great my mother has the same rug she's had for 40 years in our florida room it's a wonderful woven stark green and white rug but it's wool and it just stands the test of time and so that's what i really look for is materials that are just naturally durable not artificial materials that happen to be durable
0: everyone just first off has to get your book because it's so it's so gorgeous but i feel like kind of speaking to this indestructible sort of family setup your family rooms just blow me away because they're so elegant but I know the that you've and you've just said you've put so much importance on function and comfort. So I'm I'm curious, like what what are the ingredients for a comfortable family room? And then how do you add this incredible elegance and beauty to the space? Right. And I,
2: I know exactly what you're saying, and there is there's a method to the madness, and that is kind of look up and see the things that are not going to be destroyed by it. 4 year old a six year old a cocktail party (laughs) whatever it is it's through artwork it's custom lampshades it's beautiful light fixtures it's sofa pillows that may have to be replaced in five years maybe not but that's kind of where we look you know something beautiful on the mantle pretty leathers that really do get better with age linen velvets that really do get better with age not that i want things to look old that's not kind of my my look but it should still look new and fresh and, you know, happy after 10 years or so. And, and I do have memories of my mother's house. Um, people came over all the time. We lived right next door to the little tennis club for years in the 70s and 80s. And everybody came over after tennis for lunch or breakfast at Wimbledon and Bloody Marys everywhere. And our house was so kind of beaten up but survived in such a great way like I said my mother still has the rugs from I don't know 35 40 years ago in our our what she called the Florida room at the time but um it it was the original well-loved house to me it's just how I was how I grew up I just love that and using the house I just think that's that's so important you know we do a lot of bigger houses they have a lot of rooms they've got upstairs sitting rooms and music rooms and pool houses and how to make all the rooms feel that way how does everything feel approachable what makes you want to go into that the pool house is there a games table there that people gravitate towards is there a bar set up in there what makes that fun what makes that approachable and livable and really stand the test of
0: time so what are the must haves though like is it just a super comfortable couch or like is it side tables like how how can you get that that base comfort to like check off you're going to be spending all your time here? I think I think
2: you certainly need comfortable furniture. I think that's one of the most important things that we do. And and almost every husband comes to us at the beginning of the project and they say immediately, "We've okay, we've had the worst experience. We have the most uncomfortable sofas in XYZ house. So that is one of our big prerequisites is that people come down to our upholster, sit in the sofa, check the depth, decide what they want. So that's a huge part of it. But that's just kind of um just an ingredient in what we do, but what the main thing I think is is a really good furniture plan. That to me is what creates a comfortable room. I think as I was just saying, is it a is it a one chaise next to the fireplace where people just everybody gravitates toward at a cocktail parties is it having occasional chairs that can get kind of moved around and mixed around and ottomans in certain places and l-shaped sofas banquettes pulling furniture out to the walls a lot of times people kind of group furniture in the middle of a room and i think furniture actually is more comfortable when it really uses the breadth of the room and um different seating groups so that is the absolute first place we start in anything is the furniture plan and i think that's what makes a comfortable room in addition to of course comfortable furniture. But sometimes it's a slipper chair that's really not that comfortable, but it's small and it can just scoot around. And it's as much about kind of where you're sitting with the little group in front of the fire or the hostess a lot of times sits on a a garden stool sometimes. But that makes it comfortable, the fact that they can come in and plop down and go grab hors d'oeuvres and come right back and just make it fun, make it easy, make it relaxed.
1: How do you know when you have the right furniture plan? Like, are you thinking about it from, you know, you come into the room at this angle and, or, you know, what is the flow through the room? Like, do you just kind of position yourself in different parts of the room?
2: Well, I think that's an interesting question. Well, first of all, we try a lot of furniture plans. And sometimes the way I envision a room, we're working on an apartment in New York right now. And I said, let's do a great big L shape in front of these windows. And we worked it all out and it, it seemed great. And we, they clients finally closed on the apartment and we went in and I said, that's, it doesn't feel right to me. Let's go back. Let's go back two steps to where we started and let's just do a, you know, big comfortable sofa here and a a kind of loungy club chair with it. A lot of it is kind of organic. I don't think there's, there's not really a recipe for that, how it is going to work, but making sure I always describe things as like talking to, is this chair talking to this sofa? Is this love seat talking this little occasional chair that I'm going to pull over. So I think that's a lot of it. Like, what is this? What is this in harmony with? What is this playing with? Like, is this coffee table connected to this sofa? Is it connected to those two chairs? And if it's not, do I have a small table in between those chairs in which to put my drink down? Or so I guess I'm sort of Maybe I just sort of live in like cocktail party mode. I don't know <laughs> where's where's everybody going <laughs> to no. sit. Because if it works for that, I think it also works for, for everyday life. And I think a room can have a lot of furniture in it and um, still be very, very comfortable for a party. Because people love to come in and just kind of perch.
0: Do you feel like, like in terms of mistakes people make, do you feel like people often have like things too spread apart? Like
2: the yes. chair too
0: far away from the sofa? Yes, I
2: think people absolutely do that. I think when I'm working on a furniture plan, I think I put my mind or my, you know, my body and my mind in every piece of furniture. And I think, what am I doing if I'm sitting here? Can I put my feet on the coffee table if I want to? Can I reach over? Can I turn a light on? I'm just sort of living in that room before anybody else is living in that room, certainly. So I'm really thinking about what is going to draw people into the room? What's going to keep people in the room? How it's going to work for for all different sort of situations?
0: What do you think is like the furthest away? I'm totally veering from my notes here. But um, <laughs> That's good. what do you think is like the furthest away you can get within the same grouping? You know what I mean? Like oh, eat wise? Well, like okay, if you're if I'm if I'm at a cocktail party, since we yeah. like that analogy, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how far away can I be talking to someone? Within the same grouping, you know what I'm saying? Like the furthest, I know what you mean. Like chairs apart from yeah. each other, but still talk to one another. Where's
1: the party conversation versus? The Where's the conversation? Like form? is it seven Convers- feet, That's twelve true. feet?
2: Uh, well, I don't think it's twelve feet, but I think I think it's probably a little farther than you think it is. I don't think it has to be this tight, tight little group. Jeffrey Bill Huber described in his a book, I don't know which one it was, but it shouldn't feel like group therapy. I think people tend to take a, a coffee table and just kind of load chairs around the coffee table, and it's like kumbaya circle or something it doesn't have to be like that and then another another thing that i'm as i was describing who am i talking to if i'm sitting in this chair a lot of times we'll put a chair on a swivel so it can sit and talk to the main sofa but then if that chair were to turn around perfectly the other way it would be talking to the banquette in the corner so i don't really set up a room i would say there's just no way you're never gonna have 12 people sitting around talking to each other in a in a room comfortably so how to have six and six, or, you know, groups of three or groups of two, whatever. But I I think distance is kind of hard to narrow down specifically, but it should feel comfortable in your mind's eye. And before you put a a piece of furniture on a plan, say, you know, who am I talking to if I'm sitting here? What's what's going on if I'm sitting here? What am I seeing? Kind of put yourself in that chair.
0: Yeah, that's a good lesson. Okay, I wanted to talk about your process a little bit because I love how you sort of document it in the book. I feel like it's so helpful, such good takeaways for people. Good. And one of the things that I found so interesting is you said you like to start with the walls. Can you tell us, like, what, what? I, that was shock, That was surprising to me. Really? So what, okay. Why why do we have to start with the walls and sort of what sort of care and attention are you paying to the walls that people may not normally think of outside of paint? Well, I think we, I mean, that is
2: one of our main focuses. I think if you, you know, when one is reading the book, I think you can tell that we do put a lot of attention into our walls, whether it's a wall fabric, a wallpaper, a paneling the walls, lacquering the walls, because that's really where your eye, your that's eye level, certainly. And that is to me what makes a room feel very finished and I think that's what I talk to kind of younger people that are coming to me for their you know first time decorating and they'll say well we really just want to paint these rooms I'm like you're just kind of setting yourself up for disappointment unless it's some special paint you know even if we do a white paint it is it's either glazed or it's like a, a, a plaster finish is applied something that gives it texture and depth an interest, because I think if your walls aren't finished, it, to me, a house does not feel finished. And sometimes it's finished with artworks, but that has to be really well, I think, thought out along the process or know that you're dealing with someone who's a very, you know, a good collector, not a serious collector, but someone who really has an eye or we tend to kind of work with clients after, you know, we've installed to help them find kind of things, special art pieces as, as we move along. But it is, so it's not always about the wallpaper or the the wall treatment, but how
1: are we finishing the walls? I was really excited about the different wallpapers you use and the playfulness that they inject into the room. I know chapter one of your book is called 21st Century Traditional. And I feel like pairing all of those traditional shapes with a pop of color or a playfulness in the wallpaper, I think is just really the twist that you add to well, it.
2: Well, I think that is. Thank you for that. I think it's a that first house is a, a Georgian style house that was built in the uh, 1920s in Greenwich, and so it was kind of how to make that house feel a little more playful. It's a very serious house. It's an incredible house, but how to have fun with a house like that, and and also how to respect its history also. So there's the beautiful paneled library. There's a lacquered dining room. There's Gracie panels going up the um, double height entrance hall. And then we have this games room right off the main entrance player that is the cover of the book, actually. And it is this wonderful Pierre Frey paneled fabric that that we found and it does it feels very playful i will say it's i mean it's a beautiful fabric it's a classic but i think in this instance it has a very playful note and then this client has five boys so you know with five boys you gotta have a little fun
0: wow okay yes well so i (laughs) i did notice i'm pretty sure that house was also the second to the well the owners were the second to last the owners of, the, of yes. the second to last house. Sorry, I'm trying to explain. You're, I know what, what you're I'm saying. saying. Yeah. The same owner. So, okay, I'm curious. You in the beginning of the book, you have the house that they then moved to. So, how tricky is it to to go from designing a totally new house using pieces you already picked out from a previous residence? Is that hard? Well, yeah. no, it's
2: a lot less tricky. Or is it easy because you've already done it's, it? <laughs> it's easy. It's a lot less tricky than using someone else's furniture they picked out. No, th- I feel like there were so many pieces that evolved. Really really, really well into this new house. But this was actually they were in the apartment that's featured in the book. Then they moved to another apartment. Then they moved to this house. So there were things that were kind of purchased for the next apartment, purchased for this house. They have wonderful artwork. They have the great Peter Beard and the library and a, a wonderful Robert Kellys. They had great artwork with which we were able to work not not once but twice. And it was fun to reimagine them. A Melinda Hackett painting that was in their candy apple red dining room in New York City, transferred into a blue lacquer dining room in Greenwich. And just just seeing the way the colors are transformed against those two different backgrounds is sort of amazing.
0: Yeah, that painting and the and like the Russian sort of hutch cabinet oh, tipped ca- me off Russian I'm like wait style a minute wait, yeah, are yeah. Yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> I know <gasps> no so I it was, it was
2: fun and it was one of the reasons that we included you know we had a lot of things from which to choose to include in the book so I think it was important to include that first iteration of this client's house and, and the things that they used and that Russian style cabinet was one of a pair that was in their living room in New York City and it felt quite important in there and we had them made for the for the space and they got to Greenwich and were sort of like, what are we going to do with these things? I said, well, let's just put one in the games room. Let's just try it and have fun with it and see what what happens. And so we put it in there. And I think it, it just really has fun with itself in that room. It's got the rummy cube and the backgammon and the kids games and a little blue and white porcelain. Everything's just kind of crammed in there. And so it really became um, a storage thing. And as I say, form follows function. So if it's functional, usually it looks pretty good.
1: Yeah. Cause that's a pretty
2: serious piece. It's a pretty serious piece and not taking itself too seriously. We also lined the back of it in a Claremont ECAT. Um, So we had our upholsterer create a board and, you know, I don't know what he did, tacked it onto the board and then placed it behind and it really I think it really transformed the piece personally and made it much more youthful feeling.
0: Okay, so I'm curious, like, I know, I feel like everyone is, you know, they're talking about real estate right now, everyone's moving and buying a new house. So if we are working with pieces for moving into a new space, should we start by placing our favorites in, the house first and then build around it like I guess what I'm trying to figure out how you take pieces that you already have and make them work in a new space but maybe in a totally new way well
2: I think one of the most important things is kind of maybe not doing what you're saying for instance a really important sofa even from a living room in New York City does not have to then be the sofa in the living room in a, in a new house. Like that could go, that could sit in a window in a breakfast room and almost serve as a banquette. So I think you have to kind of look at everything like you're seeing it for the first time. And I think that's one way we kind of have fun with clients like, oh, let's take this and use it in a completely different way. Let's chalky white it. Let's let's put a marble top on it. Let's change the leather on a, on a desktop to a bright peacock blue. Let's do something kind of crazy with this because we're not buying it so how can we reimagine it and make it fun and make it feel feel new but also have a sense of of history to it that's important to your family
0: okay and then the other thing based on the way you put together colors and pattern i would assume that you came up with your fabric plan first but you say you don't you start with your furniture selection so when you say furniture selection are you talking about like the silhouettes and the actual furniture styles or are you talking about the furniture plan
2: no i think well i'm probably talking about both but i think we get a furniture plan in place and then we start thinking about things as far as style like what's going to feel more contemporary what's going to be more traditional what's something sort of mid-century in the mix and then we start thinking about the materials and what is mahogany what's a chalky white what's stone what's leather where are we finding those contrasts? And that's something that we we certainly talk about in the book. And then we move on to fabric, but fabric in the same way, not, oh, here's a pretty linen and here's a pretty linen that looks good with it. And here's another linen that looks good with that. You know, we're always like, what's, where's my woven? Where's my linen? Where's my boucle? Where's my fortuny? Where, you know, I've kind of, we have a way of working with fabrics that, it's not just about what they look like as much as they're, I mean, of course it is, but the composition and what makes it interesting and what gives it texture and balance and all of those things. Like what's the makeup.
1: I like that idea of thinking about, about the textures versus even what the color palette is like really starting with like, okay, what is, what is my texture in there? Absolutely. Of I think a other?
2: woven, like you just, I look at every room the same way. Like where is my, balance of textures whereas my contrast of textures I think that's one of the kind of first things I thought about in decorating and it's something that's kind of second nature to me now
0: well and later you talk about the seasonality of rooms so can you kind of explain what you're talking about um with that because it, it is talking you were talking about the materials in terms of like it not being too summery or too wintry yes and your fabrics are sort of the way you do that I think that's
2: true. I mean, I think that there's a section in the book, there's a house in Darien where we allude to that. And it's a really pretty Lee Jofa documentary linen chintz fabric. And I was worried about that room feeling kind of summery. And I thought, how am I going to balance that? What's going to make this not feel that way? And it was about bringing in a really beautiful wool rug with that. It was about a textured coffee table, boucle chairs, So that, I think, is the seasonality. Like, you don't want a room to feel like, oh, this is where we spend time in the summer. This is where we spend time in the winter. You want rooms to feel seasonless. And I think you can do that with a mixture of fabrics and making sure it's not all velvets, it's not all linens, it's not all bouclés. that there's a balance of everything. Even if you do have one fabric that's very happy, springy, you know, how are you you balancing that? Mm
0: -hmm. No, I just thought that was so smart, especially in a locale maybe where you do have very different seasons like maybe in florida you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. need to think about it but if you are somewhere where you're gonna it's gonna snow and then be 90 degrees like you don't want to only feel comfortable or feel like it's it's off well i think that's true it's something i hadn't thought of
2: we do houses in um, Montana. And that's a place where, you know, I think the first thought is, oh, it's skiing, it's wintertime, it's cozy, it's fires. But clients spend as much time out there in the summertime as they do in the wintertime. So, with that, it's about using comfortable fabrics, cozy fabrics, but also thinking about the, the color palette, bringing in some beautiful, creamy, dreamy whites that feel wonderful in the wintertime, but they also feel pretty and happy and light in the summertime
1: as well if you have a strong base like that, could you shift the colors seasonally or would you even want to do that? I was, you know, it's funny.
2: I was just thinking that as I was saying that, you know, maybe it's about a throw in the wintertime that goes over the back of the sofa in a beautiful sort of cognac-y orange. And then, you know, in the summertime, it's just not there or yes, but you certainly, you certainly could do that. And I think that's something that happens just kind of naturally with dishes and serveware and glasses and all those things and and cocktail napkins and that just changes the personality of a room so much and that's something that you know I try to do in my own home making sure that I'm collecting lots of variety in the things that I pull out and use whether it's for entertaining or just accessories that I just tend to move around just because I do.
0: Was my mom the only mother who um, <laughs> had the seasonal slipcovers? Oh, no.
2: <laughs> we were in Florida, so we didn't have it. But no, your mother was not the only one. And I think that's super chic, by the way, super chic.
0: So, OK, I was I just loved that Hunt Country Modern Home that you did in the book. And I wanted you to tell our listeners a story because I thought it sounded so interesting. They, The clients originally thought they were going to tear the house down. And then sort of you started sort of giving your your design expertise. And then they thought, oh, okay, well, maybe we can make this work. Is that, is that that's kind of well, how it sounded? Is little, that
2: what happened? It, that's a little bit of what happened. So it's this wonderful property kind of at the top of Millbrook. But I, I would say it's the best views of Millbrook. So the piece of property is amazing. And there is a mid-century house on it that was modeled after a Frank Lloyd Wright house that it's a, it's an interesting house. Is it the house you would build there today if you were going to rebuild it? Probably not. Um, really young couple didn't even have kids yet. So they just weren't in that stage in their life where they were ready to build the big main house because they didn't know which, you know, kind of direction their lives were going to go in. So we started with a really super refresh like, let's just kind of paint it, get in. We'll probably tear the house down in five years or whatever. And let's just kind of live in it for a little bit. But once we got in the house, we said, this is sort of fabulous let's put a little bit more into this renovation and then kind of see how long they'll last in this house. But it is, it's an amazing house and it's so happy. It's so fun. I love its mid-century style. I love its mid-century roots. I mean, it's a great, I have to go back to my before pictures to remind myself what it had looked like before from the rosewood paneling in that big living room that you can see. We cover, covered in that noblesse sort of lined oak looking almost faux bois paper. So it all kind of nods to its origins, but everything feels much more up to date. We had so much fun. They're fun, fun clients and they were sort of game for anything and we had a great time. It's a great house.
0: I just loved the way that you were, it it really showed how to mix different styles. I, I feel like a lot of times when you see people using mid-century, it's like very all mid-century. All mid-century. It's like sort of all yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah.
2: right, A little goes a long way. I mean, a little goes a long way. I think you can, you know, no one wants a, a period room, whether it's colonial or Louis XVI or mid-century. It's not an interesting room to me, unless it's in a house museum. That's great. But other than that, it really is about developing that mix. And I think that was a great example of where we started with a floor plan in that room. I think you can might be able to tell from some of the pictures, it's a double-sided, not a double-sided sofa, back-to-back sofas with a big pair of lamps in the middle, sort of illuminating the whole center of that space. And then we really, as you can tell, had a lot of fun with furniture selection and design and finding things everywhere from Cherish and First Dibs and Hudson, New York, and we just had fun with it. And, you know, nothing's nothing in that house is precious. They didn't have children yet, but they like to have a lot of parties at that time. And now they have two kids. I think they're just having a lot of fun there. And that's Mm -hmm. that's our goal.
1: Back to back sofas is really pretty brilliant. It's really
2: it's great in that space. That's what I have in my living room in, in Millbrook. And it it just Creates two very—it creates almost a room within a room. And with with this room in particular in Millbrook in this story, there's almost three or four rooms within this giant living room. There's one sofa that looks out to this incredible view. There's one sofa that looks inward toward the fireplace. There's an L-shaped sofa where people sit, you know, all the time for parties and cocktails. And then there's a games table. So they're just. All these places to sit, pull up chairs, pull the games table chairs around to talk to anybody else in the room, garden stools. It just lends itself to having a good time.
0: Well, I just love the idea of um, letting your, or just I guess how powerful a f- great furniture plan and decor can go. You know, yeah. it can really transform something that you thought was unsalvageable into something really great
2: yeah well we i also had a wonderful architect mike elfenbein who helped me with my house he he really was the one who was instrumental in getting this house together as as much as i certainly helping us realize the fact that it was very salvageable and and could be quite beautiful
0: Mm -hmm. there's another one called the light touch and this sort of goes back to that seasonal discussion but um the homeowners wanted a florida house (laughs) but it was in Connecticut. So, okay. Cause I, I do feel like we, we do kind of talk about this a lot. People, I know there are a lot of people out there who like maybe want to give their house, like a sort of a beach house feel, but they don't live anywhere near the beach. So maybe kind of describe for people some of the tricks that you used to kind of give it that Florida sort of feel without it. Feeling like like yeah,
2: I I understand. Well, first of all, the house is on the water, so that does help in giving it that kind of coastal vibe. I guess it has to some extent. But one of the first things we did is we came in and, and we bleached the floors. And they're, they were actually cherry floors, so it was very challenging getting someone who had the expertise to come in and get cherry floors into sort of a weathered, gray, kind of more coastal palette that we were trying to achieve, and and that was done. And I think that made an enormous difference. And then we changed out all the windows. I don't, I don't know if they were, had they been six over six before, I'm pretty sure, but they were all changed to kind of one bigger pane of glass mm, wow. with... You know a, a transom light above, and I think that was very successful. And added French doors everywhere there where there hadn't been doors before. It was just a lot of windows. So it just just in having doors, whether you use them or not, I think I people, people have people French doors in all the time. That they don't necessarily use them, but they're there, and I think it gives you a connection to the outside. Just automatically Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. by nature of their being there. So I'm always an advocate of that. Even sometimes we'll put a piece of furniture in front of a pair of French doors, but it's just knowing that there's that connection, I think just goes a long way.
0: But it also seems like there was almost like this sandy color palette, like not too literal, but maybe a nubby, like a really nubby kind of fabric, but in this sort of sand color.
2: Yeah, that's true. We used a lot of, I think this house is, there are a lot of neutrals in this house. And then there are a lot of really fun, bright colors that we had a great time with. The living room palette is very neutral with some pops of color. And then I think as you kind of gravitate and gradually expand out from there, the rooms tend to get a little bit more colorful, even with that dining room with that silk wallpaper from frommental which is really kind of a striking, green color we had a lot of fun i mean it does but but the under currents in this house are kind of common neutral like the entrance hall and the stair hall is all just a white lacquered grass cloth very simple very neutral so i think this house could really stand up just the bold uses of colors that we we played with in other parts of the house
1: so i have a question you have a great a great quote in your book about how a house should be cohesive from the entry hall to the last bedroom wall throughout the whole house. How do you go about that? And how far do you take it? Like, are you developing some sort of theme, even if it's just a very lightly a theme and how do we take our own homes like that without making it a theme park? Good, good question. Um,
2: (laughs) First of all, I think it's another thing that it starts very organically. So it's not something that we make a decision on in the very beginning. Oh, this is going to be the green house or this is going to be the blue house or whatever it is. But I do, you know, I call it the decorative thread that weaves its way through a house and take, for instance, that house we were just describing in Connecticut. Like I said, there's lots of of neutrals, but I think that there's a blue color that keeps revealing itself. In most of the spaces within the house, whether it's the living room and the music room. And then you have this wonderful bright green dining room that might just have a tiny, tiny, there could be a blue flower in there somewhere. So it's just, you feel that connectivity as you're making your way through the house. And I do feel like that's very important. And a lot of times, the two spaces where I say, let's have. Let's just go off the rails here. Let's do whatever we want to do is a powder room. A lot of times can be just that wow factor having nothing to do with anything else in the rest of the house. And I think that's kind of a fun thing to do, actually. Like, what color have I not seen in this house? And for instance, in that project, it was a a lavender that we used in the powder room. And that was quite special in there. And then a lot of times in dining rooms, what is kind of the opposite of what I'm doing throughout the rest of the house that I can bring a little bit of that color palette in, maybe in a a chair fabric or something. But if, a lot of times I look at the walls in the dining room and think what's gonna give me a wow factor and some contrast in here. But that decorative thread is very, very important to us. And I, I mean, I think it's important to most people, but a lot of times clients will say to me, oh, I, I know what I want, but I don't know how to make it all go together. And I think that's what we really, bring to the table, how to make things feel unique, how to make it feel special, how to have contrast, but also how to give it that flow and that connectivity that's so important.
0: Do you think that color is the easiest way to create that decorative thread or can you do it in a neutral
2: no, I think absolutely. If that's the thread, I think neutral is an amazing way to do it. I mean, we probably lean towards the more colorful end of the spectrum usually, but no, I just I don't I don't think it matters where you find it, whether it is a, a certain color. I do think it is something that happens with color. I don't see it as like a a style necessarily, kind of leading you through the house. I think it's that that thread of color.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and I loved sort of just on the topic of color, you talking about um you mentioned in here um referring to the color palette when building your room plans. And I thought I felt like that was such a practical way that people could sort of add a little bit of extra drama or um, finish to pieces that they already have by thinking like, Oh, what's the opposite of the opposite. This color? exactly thinking of the color the color wheel and going across the spectrum. So if we're
2: working on a, a green room, I'll say, oh, where's, what can we bring in here that's red, that will be exciting and dramatic, but not just one time. It's about repeating that color in another area of the room that, um, that Hunt Country Modern project. We finished the, the living room and it was so pretty, but I'm like, I need another jolt of excitement in this room. What are we going to do? We brought in that um, wonderful mid-century bench and we covered it in this kind of shocking mustardy yellow weirdo color. And it instantly energized the room. But at the same time, we'd had an oil painting commission for the room, too, that also had its sort of undertones of that yellow in it. So it didn't shock you, it just energized it. And I think maybe that's the difference is energizing versus shocking big difference
0: (laughs) well i feel like we all need to go google the color wheel and just have that as a a reference reference, all the time yes yeah
2: (laughs) always looking across well not always but a lot of times a lot of
0: times looking across opposites well and here's the other thing that you always do there's there was not a plain white shade in the whole book so talk oh. to me about lampshades because <laughs> i love the way you use lampshades and i even in that hunt country modern house where i felt like oh okay completed lampshades work in a mid century modern is oh, that too traditional yeah but you use them a lot we so. use them a
2: lot that is a good point um well back to your i think original question about what's going to make a room not feel too precious or feel off limits to anybody maybe it's about a fortuny lampshade in the middle of a living room where their kids jumping around but they're not gonna they're not gonna hurt a lampshade i mean they could but you know
0: so okay how do we i mean is there is there a rhyme or reason to where you go with the color like does the color of the shade need to match the color of the base or like how because I felt like some of them were very imaginative and Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and striking so I'm curious if there's a time where you need something really subtle or if you can always kind of go for something interesting well
2: something that we think about I love these questions because they make me think about my process because I don't really think about
0: it very often (laughs)
2: so (laughs) but I think it's sort of the same thing in a in a Room in a large-ish room, you're gonna have a lot of lampshades. So, I am always thinking, what if what fabrics have we used on a lampshade? And is it pleated? Is it box pleated? Is it country pleated? And then if we've done that somewhere else, there's a good chance there's another cha- lampshade that's gonna be pasted, which means it's just flat fabric applied to the shade with some sort of a top and bottom border. And then once we've done that, then we're like, well, maybe we need a metal shade somewhere else. And then maybe there's a lacquered shade somewhere else. So it's that, it's the exact same thing we do with everything, whether it's fabrics and we're trying to find where's the contrast, where's the boucle, where's the linen, where's the leather, same thing with furniture, where's the mid century, where's the Louis 16, where's the same thing with the lampshade, you know, where's my contrast? What have I already seen that I'm tired of? I wanna see something else. How to make this unusual. Maybe it's craft paper and it's just got a, uh, Sutash at the top and the bottom that add a jolt of color to it but i am always saying to myself what have i not seen what have i not seen in this house that i want to see and that is a great thing for a lampshade because you're like i haven't seen any lavender anywhere let's in this room is green let's bring in a green and lavender into the lampshade or something you know that's just an example but i am thinking a lot of
1: times what am i missing not what's here. What what do I need? What do we need? Would you keep the the shade shapes the same if you were doing different patterns on different good lamps question. in the same room?
2: We like to do no. I play with the shape of the shade a lot, and I know this is something my friend Harry Heisman, who used to work for Albert Hadley, would Mr. Hadley would say, "Have you scaled the shade? Have you scaled the shade?" Which means they hand drew the lamp, and then. Drew the lampshade, and it was. He's. I've seen some of the images of his lampshades; are pretty amazing. But we always put it onto AutoCAD. I want to see the proportions of that shade on that lamp because we don't have the luxury. And I don't know if that much of a luxury of hauling the lamp into the lampshade store and trying shades on. I don't even think that's the right way to do it. To be honest, it's like you really need to see it in. 2d i guess to really know that your proportions are right and the scale is right and um you know i think there's actually something in ballard designs that you guys did with bunny williams years ago about scaling a lampshade and i think i still use that it's like double the width of the lamp and then mm-hmm. oh yes right yeah and Bunny, and it was, you know it's yeah. a guideline and but it's a place to start certainly and i think anybody can just get a piece of graph paper and mark out their lamp pretty easily and then scale a shade on top of it makes all the difference
0: yeah i think it's like 50 percent the width of the base and then it's a third of the height of the overall like height is the shade yes yeah the shade is then a third Yeah, yes and then right. we play with
2: that and then sometimes mm-hmm. i want more of a coolie shade that's shorter and wider at the bottom but at least if you know the rules you can break rules
0: okay well i feel like it's time to do a decorating dilemma oh goody Okay, so this is from Diana and she says, hi ladies, thanks for helping with me with my exterior colors. The advice of using Charleston green with black and white of my red brick home. We followed the advice and love our home. I have another dilemma that I'd love your help with. Our dining room is in the middle of our home and it's a room we pass through to get to other rooms. So deciding what walls make up the dining room has been a little tricky. I want to lighten up and elevate the space with some textured wallpaper and I'm considering using Ballard Design's Harlow textured wallpaper in blue. It's kind of a light blue with a grass cloth texture. Okay. This angle I'm standing from the door, so this is what you would see walking through the house. Here are my questions. Following the flow of the room from the front door, does this mean the wallpaper should wrap under the arches, correct? The arches are different because we expanded and it would be a labor and cost intensive to make them match. The non-arched way used to have patio doors. I'm also thinking adding molding would draw more attention to the differences. Is there any way to make them look better or is this not a big deal? Standing from the other side of the dining room, you can see the hallway that is currently white. I don't want to wallpaper the hallway. Is it okay to leave this white? Open to other ideas and thoughts, I just really don't know where to start and stop. A friend mentioned painting all the walls white to match and doing an accent wall, but I'm not fond of accents. (laughs) I'm not fond of accent walls since 2010. Thank you for your time, Diana. Okay. Tell her so I'm right describe, there
1: with her. To describe the room a little bit, as you walk in, the dining room table is there with about six char- Parsons chairs. Um, and you have to walk through the dining room to get to a living space in the back. And that has the squared off archway. Mm-hmm. And then to the right, she has an arched entryway into the kitchen where there's some bar stools and an open kitchen.
2: Okay. So... I will admit this is a little bit of a challenge to try to wallpaper a room like this because there are no casings. And that's something that we're always thinking about in the beginning stages of a project. Where am I starting and stopping this wall finish? So if she were to paper, I think she's going to have to paper more than just this one room. There's one kind of bigger wall that looks like it wraps into maybe the entrance hall or something. So. I think she's going to have to figure out where her wallpaper is dying. Where is it ending? So I don't, I think it's actually going to be a tricky room to wallpaper. And the other thing is, I don't, there's not a ton of walls in this room. So I don't know that this is the place where she's going to get the biggest bang for her buck through the wallpaper. So maybe there's another room. Maybe you walk through this room and then I can't see her living room very well. But I just wonder if that's a room she wanted to accent with wallpaper. So you kind of had this wow, you come in, it's kind of simple and beautiful. And it's very elegant the way she's done it now. And then you have this wow factor beyond. Um, Because she has so many openings that it's definitely going to be a challenge to find where are you stopping? Where are you starting the paper? And what you don't want is a raw edge of wallpaper at an outside corner or a place where anybody's going to catch it walking around the corner or something, unless you have a great wallpaper hanger who knows how to kind of step it back and finish that edge perfectly. She just has a lot of those and that arched opening would be a challenge. So unless she wants to make the investment in casing all the openings, I don't know if this is the room that I would use for wallpaper.
1: Yeah. yeah, it looks like there are four different openings. What if she room. papers the ceiling, does something Ooh. fabulous on the ceiling? Maybe that's what she needs to do because it's
2: not a high ceiling. What if she did like a lacquer paper on the ceiling or even the textured grass cloth on the ceiling could be really beautiful. It's a very simple, there's nothing going on on the ceiling. A lot of times you have recessed lights and smoke detectors and vents and all sorts of things. There's nothing happening And that could be really, really pretty to do something either sort of reflective or textural on the ceiling. But that could add a
0: lot of interest to this room in a very simple way. Mm -hmm. Would she need to... Okay, so in one angle, there's like a hallway. I think it's like the second picture from... On yes, the first page. i know tree. exactly so would she need to take that ceiling paper into the front living room um, see okay good question oh. maybe she would but i think that's her entrance hall isn't it yeah that's, yeah it looks yeah. like it would be
2: a front door yeah so that could be that could be really really fun
0: but it would probably be the same amount of paper for just the ceiling than it would for you know what i mean even if she did both ceilings yeah if she like did still both, only ceilings did ze- because it's not high
2: ceiling. So that's what we do a lot of times. If there's a ceiling that's on the lower side, we're like, how do we make the ceiling interesting? Because you're going to see this ceiling. Um, mm-hmm. So it could be the perfect solution here and add a lot of visual interest. But again, very, very simply.
0: Does she need to use that blue more elsewhere? Or do you feel like just that one sort of pop of blue is... Well, I don't know that that's going to be the color for her.
2: Maybe it's something that's a little bit reflective. I have to look at the colors and see what, what I thought as far as that goes, but it might not be a blue ceiling, even though I'm not averse to that. I do love a blue, a blue lacquered ceiling is sort of amazing. Um, feels almost like the sky in kind of contemporary way. So maybe
1: the blue texture could work in the same, you know, same way. Yeah, and it could that, be great that wallpaper comes in a cream. Yeah, it comes in like this light baby blue that she's talking about.
2: Oh, if it's a really pale blue, that can be mm-hmm. gorgeous, like a sky blue without being, you know, sort of bad 1980s decorative painting of the sky on the ceiling the It gives you that same <laughs> kind of feeling. <laughs>
0: So, should what should she do with the wall color? If she paint, if she does paper the ceiling blue, should she leave it as is, or should she? I would get a little more creamy. It's very topy right now. I would, I would get a little bit more
2: toward. A, I think a white would feel a little more modern. I think that floor is kind of cool that she has the kind of segmented mm-hmm. stone floor. So something more in that vein. This is very kind of cementy gray, and I would do something just a little bit whiter and brighter and then i think a blue ceiling would look fantastic the floor is really great very cool
0: okay so she did ask about whether the arches being different was a big deal no i don't i think it's just old house i think it's
2: charming i i love that in, in old houses i don't think they have to match at all
0: I feel like that's one of those things that you fixate on when it's at your own house, and you right. don't even notice at someone would else's. No- I wouldn't
2: have noticed it, and if anything, it makes me say this is a, this is an old house with some character.
0: So, Diana, best of luck. Let us know. Send us after photos. Send the after out. pictures. I want to see. I love the idea of the blue ceiling. I feel like that would yeah that would be fun. That, could, that be could be, be fun, right? Okay, Ashley, can you tell everyone where to find you, follow you, and pick up your new book?
2: Great. Well, you can
0: find me at
2: com and follow us on Instagram at Ashley Whitaker Design. And you can buy signed copies of my book from Christopher Smith Miller's website. He wrote the foreword to my book. He's my nearest and dearest friend. And
0: then you can also purchase it on Amazon and local bookstores. Thank you so much for joining us. It was such a treat. I've been looking forward to our conversation for many weeks now.
2: Likewise. Well, this was fun. I've had such a good time with the girls both times.